Hey listeners, I'm your host, Sally Holder. Join me each week to escape and be refreshed with stories of people who dared not to settle for the American dream. Go beyond just getting enough in life and live into a place where big dreams actually do come true. Each week, you'll discover why internal success is better than external success. Be prepared to redefine what your best looks like in life and free yourself from the guilt of wanting more. Hey listeners, I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode of the Hitting Rock Middle podcast. We have our first male guest and his name is Chris Kennison. You can find out more about him by going to his website at wfgconnects.com backslash Chris Kennison. Don't worry, I'll put it in the show notes so you can access it later because I know you're going to want to reach out and find out more about Chris. He's a senior marketing director at Revolution Financial Management. And get this, he says he's on a mission to positively change our relationship with money. Isn't that amazing? And don't you just love that? I absolutely love it. What you'll get to hear from Chris are not only incredible financial tips, stay tuned for those at the end of the episode, but also you're going to hear exactly how he went from having hopes of being a professional baseball player all the way to being an adjunct professor at six different colleges and universities at the same time. He was living the typical post-college life, student loan debt, not really seeing a future filled with travel and all his dreams coming true, unless he saved till he was 70. He knew he wanted more, but what was that more and what did it look like? Well, he wanted to find what he loved to do. He wanted to work in a field that was his passion, and now he does. After a few trips down the wrong path and exploration of some other interesting careers that you'll hear more about, hint, there was a short stint in there as an ordained pastor. Yes, this guy is an interesting character. He's going to share with you the steps he took to find his dream career, how he knew it was the one, and I just love the way he shares through stories and helps you know he's been where you are. And that he can make anyone really want to dream again about what's possible. I cannot wait for you to get started with this episode. Enjoy. Before we get into the meat of the episode, I had to share something exciting with you. If you feel like you aren't getting where you want to be in your career or success isn't feeling like what you envisioned, I've created something just for you. Go to sallyholder.com or head to the link in my show notes to answer 10 quick questions so I can help you figure out if you need to be bolder in your career so that you can have the success you truly desire, not just the benchmarks you've been told you should hit. I can't wait for you to get your results. Feel free to share them with me via email or even tag me on Instagram. Now, Back to the episode. Okay, Chris, I am so excited to talk to you today on the Hitting Rock Metal podcast. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having me. My wife, Amy, who you obviously know, she thinks the world of you. She speaks so highly of you. So when you reached out, I was like, absolutely anything Sally needs, I will definitely do it. So thank you for having me on. Oh, you're so sweet. I, I adore Amy as well. Please tell her I said hello. I will, yes. Um, well, I know that you have a fascinating story, and we actually were, were talking about it a little, listeners, before we started recording the podcast today, and he was throwing out one-liners that you guys need to hear left and right, <laughs> and so I said, wait, Chris, this all needs to be available for other people to hear other than just me. It's too good not to share. So, Chris, do me a favor and share with our Mm -hmm. listeners exactly, you know, what your story was. You were telling me that you, you know, began your dream of um, becoming a professional baseball player and now you are in the financial industry. So what all happened in between? Yeah, uh, whenever someone kind of asks me that question, I always say, um, you know, if you ask kids what they want to be when they grow up, they always have very big goals and dreams. Right. And they say things like, I want to be, you know, famous or the president or an astronaut or something like that. Um, Or they say something very noble. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a nurse. Right. 
Mine was I want to be a lawyer. Okay. Yeah. Right. So when I was six years old and someone said, Hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? I didn't say I want to work in the financial industry and teach people about money and wear suits. Right. Like that actually wasn't my biggest goal and dream in life. Uh, It really was to be a professional baseball player. Um, And I played all the way through college. I was really good, but just not good enough to get drafted. And so what I did was what I think a lot of people do is when they have that childhood dream, like I always find this interesting from an education standpoint. Um, when our kids are six years old, we tell them they can be anything we, they want, right? But then when they're right. 18, we say, you got to go to college and get a job, stop being a dreamer. Completely. So I'm, so I'm always like, well, who are we lying to? Are we lying to our six-year-olds or our 18-year-olds? Because if we oh. really want our kids to be realistic, we should tell our six-year-olds, yeah, you're not going to be anything you want to be. You should just settle. You right? are speaking so, my language, Chris. Okay. Yeah. So um, basically, I, I obviously had to give up being a baseball player. And I graduated from a small little school called Whittier College, got a great education. Um, and I was going to be, a, co- or I was gonna be a, a high school English teacher because uh, I was an English major. But at the time, there's an education system called No Child Left Behind. And it was very state standardized testing. It was not about critical thinking. It was not about learning how to be a human being. It was just like, get the right answers on the test. And that's not my style. So I quit my credential program um, to actually go get my master's degree. So I got my master's degree from Cal State LA. And when I graduated, I had $75,000 of student loan debt, right? Because this is what my generation is being told is, hey, you got to go to college to be successful, whatever that means, right? And you're going to have to get a job, but you can't afford college. You have to take out loans and you're going to be in debt your whole life. You're not going to be able to buy houses or have kids or anything like that until you're like 60. Right. Such a fun future we were given. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I became a college professor and I, there's a difference between a tenured professor and an adjunct professor. Tenured professors are the ones that are full-time, that have job protection. They can retire like at age 60, 70, full benefits, all that. An adjunct professor, they get paid less to teach the same classes. They don't get any benefits in terms of health insurance, retirement accounts. Um, they limit how many classes you can teach per school district and your contracted labor, which means if you teach in the fall semester, you don't know if you have work in the spring. Okay. And I had to teach six classes at four different colleges just to get enough work to actually make any money. And so I had about 180 students a semester. And um, like we had spoken about this off, off camera or whatever. I always tell people that I'm not allergic to hard work, right? The 80 hours is not the problem for me. The driving to the different schools is not the problem for me. The problem for me is that I am allergic to not getting paid what I'm worth. Right? Boom. That because, is the mic statement because, uh, i'm going to have to keep quoting that from you for yeah. sure that that's the yeah. same i was the exact same way love hard yeah. work in fact but yeah. i just need to do something i love and then i will work 80 hours a week it's totally fine yeah. and so to teach 80 hours a week i was only making four grand after taxes and in southern california four grand does not go as far as it does in other parts of the country right Very true. um yeah so uh that's kind of where i was at when i decided i i had been I had been kind of reading and listening to a lot of conversations about this idea of entrepreneurship, right? I was never business minded. I didn't go to business school. I didn't know what it meant to run a business. I didn't know what it meant to uh, manage employees or anything like that. But I kept reading and reading and reading and talking about this concept of if you really want to live out your dream life, you can't just depend on one income, right? Or, Or you can't just depend on a salary. There has to be like other streams of income. So that was in my mind but I didn't know what it was going to look like. Right. And so I actually thought about starting a tutoring business, but then I didn't move forward with that because I didn't know how to scale it. I was like, well, I don't want to be the one tutoring the students all the time. And then I was actually thinking about, um, I'm technically an ordained pastor. Um, and so I was, I had friends who asked me to officiate their weddings and they said, Oh my God, you like, you should do this. You should do it like as a, not as a career, but like as a side gig. So I was actually thinking about taking my English skills um, and you know how you have like videographers who like tell the story through a video and you have photographers who tell the story through their photos. I was going to be a wedding wordsmith where I was actually going to write a story of the day. Like I would officiate the wedding, but then I would also write the story behind it and just never, never move forward with it. Cause I, again, I couldn't figure out like how to necessarily scale it as a true business, you know? Right. 
So to and kind so of end let me this, just stop you ahead, here yeah. because I have so many clients that end up saying the same thing and they come across some of these paths and they think that that's going to be the right one for them or they think that that's going to be the answer. What I love is the fact that you know, running up against roadblocks in each of those two paths didn't deter you from continuing on to find exactly where you needed to go. How did you avoid not getting, you know, just crushed in the process? Um, Yeah, well, I guess I would say this is, um, I guess from a personality standpoint, I'm not really an A-driven personality. Okay. I'm much more laid back. Um, I'm ambitious, but not in the traditional sense of like climbing a ladder of getting recognition. Although there, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Um, so sure. whenever I went down a road and it didn't work out, I was like, okay, well that didn't work out. So I guess I'll go down a different road. Right. I mean, there's, there's no, it, so I learned, I learned a lesson. I at least learned what not is not going to work. You know, so right. I just had that attitude of as long as I keep learning, as long as I keep trying things, eventually I'm going to find something that I love that is going to have a positive impact on people and I can monetize and make money and, and, you know, everybody wins sort of thing. And so I just kept figuring out, I kept thinking, kept trying, kept saying, well, I like that, but I don't like that. And, um, yeah, I mean, was I guess- there a process of elimination, you know, how did you know something wasn't the right thing for you? Um, that, okay. Yeah, it's a good question. And I would say the answer is this, is that um, I couldn't see myself doing it for 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Perfect. Right. Like I could exactly. see myself doing it short term and just like making some extra side cash and, and having good relationships with my clients, but I didn't see myself doing it for long term. And, and so that's let me why go, I gave up on them. Yeah. I love that. Let me go deeper on that too. You yeah. didn't see yourself doing them long-term. And so was there a, you know, an internal intuition or guide or, you know, anything that you kind of felt like was giving you that information and sharing that? Or was that pulling a bunch of other people and talking to them and seeing what they thought about? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> we, we could spend like eight hours on this. So I'll give like the 30 second answer. Um, so I actually come from like a spiritual Christian background, but I also, I'll talk to people about like quantum physics, right? So you can use the word God, universe, coincidence, quantum physics, whatever. They all have the same energy. And so, um, again, it's just, I, I, like I said, there was something you could say inside of me that I knew what I wanted, right? And I kept running into people that reinforce that idea of that I have a skill set that I'm not leveraging, that they, they saw something in me that was greater than I saw. Does that make sense? Sometimes Absolutely. it came from a mentor. Sometimes it came from a friend. Sometimes it came from a stranger. It usually came from people who I was close to. So I actually did have a, a relatively good community that was pouring that belief into me. And so because of that, I started thinking, okay, I can do something. And then opportunities started coming to me. You know, I know a lot of people, they, uh, they, we, you talk about the, the concept of like law of attraction or something like that. And I'm not saying, you know, that law of attraction isn't true. Uh, but if you really like dig into the science, like there's so much crazy stuff that we don't understand how the world works. But I do know this is that when you hang out with people who are positive and don't like crush your dreams, you end up being, you end up achieving more. Oh, well said. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Okay, so, so I, I yeah. apologize for all the interruptions. It's just, no, that's I, fine. I love that you have just gone through this process and to be able to share with our listeners, you know, how you went through it in real detail is so valuable. So yeah. you, were, you were on this path and, and keep going with your story. Yeah, so one thing, I learned this from uh, Seth Godin, which I, I don't know if any of your listeners have read or listened to Seth, he has his blog every day. He said this, and I thought it was brilliant, right? Where, you know, you have that phrase, winners never quit and quitters never win, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I totally believe in that. There's this idea of persistence, right? The people who are the most persistent, generally speaking, end up doing really good things. But he said this line, I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's perfect. Is that winners quit all the time. They Mm -hmm. just quit the right things at the right time, right? Mm -hmm. So like, I quit teaching because I knew it was the right time to quit teaching. I quit my, you know, tutoring business that I didn't really start because I knew it wasn't the right thing. Like, so if, if 
it's this idea of, of laser focus is that like, I think a lot of times people, they'll have too many ideas, which right. I think is a great problem to have. I would rather have too many than too little. Right. Yes. Um, and they don't know like which one to go all in on. Right. right. So what I, what I, the advice that I would give if someone came to me and said, Chris, I have like 18 different ideas and I don't know which one to do. I would say, well, how about this? Just pick one and go with it. And then, um, see what happens over a six month period, like make a commitment. So like, I used to talk to my students about this. There was actually a, um, it, I can't remember where I read it. It was, uh, they did this very informal study where I can't remember what college it was at, but they had a, uh, a photography class that, um, it was for, it was just for credit, no credit. So there's no grading involved. And they were just learning how to take photos. And they said, for your final project, you have to turn in two, uh, two photos. Okay. That your favorite two photos. Okay. Okay. And then one of them, one of them, you're going to get to select to take back, but the selection you make, once you make it, no turning back. The other one we're sending to headquarters. Right. And like headquarters didn't really exist, but they just said it did. Right. <laughs> and I think it's, yeah, that's what happened. So they told that to the whole class. Okay. But then a week later, they told half the students, Hey, if you don't really like your choice, you can actually just go ahead and switch it, you know, and just, and take the other picture. We'll take the other one. We'll send their way to headquarters. But then they measured which people were really happy. The group that was happiest was the group that didn't have a choice. They made their choice and they stuck with it. And they said, there's no going back because there's this idea that like there, you have to have certainty, right? So if you have 18 different ideas, right? You don't have to necessarily choose it forever, but you need to choose it and say for the next year, I'm just going to give it everything I got. And then a year from now, we'll reevaluate. Don't reevaluate every single day. You give yourself a deadline in one year. I'm not thinking about quitting. Okay? And I'm going to, and I'm actually going to put in the work. That's the other thing too, is you got to put in the work, right? But for a year, I'm not going to quit. One year from today, I will reevaluate where we're at, right? So that was my mindset going into being an entrepreneur was I will give effort to something. And if after a certain amount of time, I'm, I, I don't feel it anymore, I'll go on to the next thing. Okay. Was, we have to stop for a second because yeah. I am obsessed with the simplicity of that. And yeah. it's such good advice because people come to me all the time with so many different ideas, or they may come to me with one idea and they simply won't take the next step to get started on it because they're so yeah. worried whether or not it's the quote unquote right step or the right direction to go in, or if it's the perfect direction or yeah. if there could be more out there. And yeah. my philosophy is the same as yours, which is that you'll never know until you try and get started yeah. on it and give it everything you have. And then you were meant to be on that path once you've been on it to learn what you needed to learn to take you wherever it is that you're intended to go. And so yeah. it, it was so that you could develop more of yourself. So if you look yeah. at everything as an intentional act and um, that you're going to reap rewards and benefits from it, you will. And yeah. we'll use those to build on towards the next step in your career. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, so let me kind of relate it to when I, what I used to teach my students with writing. It was so interesting because um, I told my students like their first draft, just, just write everything, right? Just come up with as many ideas as possible. Okay. Because I always compared it to like starting a puzzle, right? It's so like a, a jigsaw puzzle where it's, um, you know, if, if I gave someone a box of uh, like a jigsaw puzzle, what is step one? Like when we put a puzzle together, what's step one? What does everybody say? Oh, of course. It's, it's the outside, right? Yeah, you have you're, to do the outside first. But Sally, you can't do the outside unless you open the box and dump out all the pieces. Oh, yes. Oh, you so people it. forget that, right? So you can't, you can't really have a frame until you just see what you have to work with. So it's this concept of just, um, let's say, let's talk about the person who has like 18 different ideas. Okay, great. You've dumped out all of the pieces. Mm -hmm. Now the next step is just trying to figure out, well, what do I have to work with? Right. And so I used to tell my students, just come up with as many ideas and don't worry about if they're good or bad at first, because the challenge is we always try to come up with good ideas, but the only way to get good writing is to have bad writing. The only way to have a great business is to have a bad business at first. Right. And then you just, you kind of revise it and you revise it and you revise it as you go, because my students would always give me their first paper, like their first draft and say, I don't know what else to write. And I was like, yeah, you do. You just don't want to do it because you think you have to be perfect right away. 
right? And so there's this idea of if you're starting a business, you just got to realize you're probably not going to be good in the beginning, but that's okay because you're not at the end stage. You haven't finished the puzzle yet. You just got to work with where you're at. Ah, beautiful. Exactly. I'm, I can honestly say I am probably on my fourth iteration of my website and it's only been up yeah. for a year. I mean, yeah. what I had to just get something up there and yeah. people are always asking me, you know, how have you done so much in a short period of time? And I'm like, I just threw caution to the wind and got started. I didn't care about how other people were going to perceive it or what they were going to think of it. They, yeah. you know, they, I had no control over that no matter what. Um, and so I might as well get started and, and figure it out along the way. And that's the only way to learn. And it, it sounds like you did that really well with, with the two other paths. You were able to go down there and realize, try them out, and then realize those were not your full calling. Um, yeah. So what was the next step that you took? Okay, so Amy and I had just started dating. So those two kind of businesses were before Amy and I had even started it. My wife, Amy, who obviously, Sally, you know, but your listeners probably have no idea who she is. But um, so we started dating. And at that point in my life, I became really obsessed with trying to learn how to save money. Um, Because my dad actually came from a financial background. Um, He had a master's degree in finance, worked in the aerospace industry for many years. When he got laid off, he actually became a college professor and taught finance. But he actually passed away when I was 19. My dad passed away really suddenly. Um, There was a surgery complication, passed away three days after the surgery. Um, And so my family, um, we were just not as strong as we were before my dad had passed away. You know, my dad did a very good job of saving money for our family, but now it's like only one income, you know, Um, so it's a little bit different. So I had this I had this feeling inside of me and I still don't know where it came from. Um, I don't know. it might take me 30 years to figure it out, but I had this deep desire inside of me that I wanted to make sure that I could take care of my mom, retire her, make sure she never has to worry about money ever again. Right. So now I graduated, I'm teaching. um, I'm trying to figure out how to save money. Right. And so I was reading books. I was going on the internet. I was talking to people who were relatively successful and, and, and wealthy and just couldn't really find out like everyone had different kind of different advice and different things to, to say. So what happened was uh, Amy had met an associate who works for the company that I'm now a broker with, right? So again, you can call it God, you can call it the universe, you can call it coincidence. But literally, as I'm reading about personal finance, Amy meets this woman. Amy comes home and tries to explain to me what our company does, and it didn't make sense to me because she said, um, I met this woman. She works for a financial education company. They teach people about money, uh, but they actually don't charge you. It's a free service. And so me and my head, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's probably something on the back end that is like, uh, they're going to try and sell us. And because literally two weeks before that, we'd been to a timeshare presentation and no offense to those of you who have been, who work at timeshare companies. Like it was just an uncomfortable situation, right? So that was in the back of my head. Uh, But Amy actually met with the woman just to network a little bit. And she came home and Amy said, you know, I, the, the woman showed me some of the education and uh, I didn't know a lot of this stuff, Chris, and I, you might know this, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page, right? And again, this is a woman that I wanted to marry, so when she said jump, what did I say? Oh, how high. Exactly, right? So I actually just, I was like, sure, let's just set up a meeting. We'll sit down for 30 minutes. And yeah, I had to swallow my pride that day because I only knew about half what she was talking about. I was like, wow, I didn't even know like this other half. So Amy and I just sat down and become clients with our company and just saved money. And so I was like, okay, well, if I could get tenure as being a college professor, I'll find out the next business idea that I want to do. We'll pay off our student loans faster. We'll go get to travel and stuff like that. And but we'll start living our lives at 60. Exactly right. right. Yes. So a couple of months after that, one of the associates called me and said, hey, Chris, we're actually doing a round of interviews with people to work with us part-time. And we really like your personality and your background because teachers tend to do really well in our business because it's very education-based. Uh, we're not a traditional sales company. We don't have quotas. If you want to, you can just work with a client a month. So came in for an interview. I was like, okay, this is totally not complicated. I could do this, right? And my whole vision was just to work with a client a month and just make extra money on the side, kind of like a side gig, right? And like I said, just teach full time and make, you know, maybe a 20, 30 grand extra a year, right? Because that'd go a long way for a lot of people. Absolutely. Problem though, is I fell in love with what we do, right? And after about my first year, um, I had this feeling that I was supposed to be there full time because mm-hmm. 
there was one week, it was kind of at the end of my first year of working with our company that um, I sat with two clients in one week. Mm-hmm. One of them is still a client of mine. She's a single mom. She has a couple of kids. When we sat down with her, she had $50 in her bank account and she didn't know how she was going to pay rent and buy groceries the next week for her kids. Wow. And we were sitting down trying to put a plan together for her to save 20 bucks a month and get out of debt. Wow. And I tell people all the time, just if, if you don't know about the traditional financial services industry, they don't focus on clients like that. No. Because you, you, don't, you don't make money from helping a client like that. Right. But we were there because it was the right thing to do. She needed the help. She wanted the help. And so obviously now she's in a much better place. Okay. But then the next appointment, the next client I had, they're not a client of mine. They decided, we decided to not move forward. Um, they had a beautiful house, beautiful cars, just redid their kitchen, beautiful backyard, um, combined family income after taxes, $400,000. Wow. Okay. But do you want to know what both families had in common, the single mom and this other couple? What? They were both broke and no one had ever talked to them about money before. Oh my gosh. Because in the United States, when we make more money, what do we do? Spend it. Yeah. We say, well, I, I got a raise or I had a really good cash flow month so I can buy a nicer car. I can get a bigger house. I can take a nicer vacation, but we never think I can save more money. No. Right. And so that's when it became more of a passion and a crusade for me. I was like, okay, so everybody, everybody needs this education then. Not just people who don't have money, but everybody needs it because people are making money and not saving it. And it was at the end of my second year that we were at an event and one of our executives was just kind of, uh, kind of talking. And I turned to Amy and I said, I really feel, again, it, it was a feeling for me. I really feel like I'm supposed to be here full time and quit teaching. And she looked back, back at me and said, yeah, it's about time. Oh my gosh. So I, I actually it. had, uh, I was lucky because I know there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to start maybe an entrepreneurial endeavor and their spouse is not really supportive. True. Know? But can you go back for just a second and describe the feeling that you're, you're talking about, you know, if, yeah. if you can okay. kind of put words to it, because I sure. hear so often people who've had this type of experience always yeah. refer to, well, I had the feeling. And yeah. then those who have not yet had that experience are constantly looking for the feeling and they want to yeah. know, have I had it? Have I missed it? What is it? So, sure. okay. Tell us a little so more this about is, it. this is something I had to learn. Right. Um, and this has been told to me many times and it's now become a part of my life, which is, um, most people in life, the reason they quit things or the reason they don't get started is because they're looking at their current circumstances, not where they're headed in the future. In other words, a lot of people don't even know what they want in the future, which is like, okay, well, that's kind of step one is like, what is you, what do you actually want? What do your life want your life to look like? What do you want your impact to be? What kind of clients do you want to have? Right. Um, what do you want your, your work life to look like? You have to have this idea of where you're going right? And most people that I find in my company all the time is they quit because they're focused on what's happening right now, not on where they're going in the future. Very true. So for me, it was at that moment that I wasn't focused on where Amy and I were at. We were, I was focused on where we were. And I was like, oh my gosh, like we could open up multiple offices and we could make multiple six and seven figures and we could retire my mom and we could have our dream house and we could change people's lives and we could, we could do this and do this and have this impact, right? I was in that moment where I was so focused on the possibilities. That's where I had that feeling of, guess what, Chris, if you're a college professor, none of that will happen. Oh, okay. So I had that moment where I was like, I was focused more on how much of a big impact was I going to have outside of teaching? And mm-hmm. that was the moment right there. I love it. Um, yeah. You know, something that my business coach told me during this, you know, now my third career transition was that, when the fear of change becomes, or excuse me, when the fear of staying the same is greater than the potential fear of change, you will make the change. And so, and I, it sounds like you were at that place as well, where the potential, I mean, staying the same just was no longer an option. And the potential change wasn't as scary because you could see that long-term future and knew it in your gut of what that future was going to look like. So did you just all of a sudden quit right away or how did you make the change? 
No. So again, me, I'm not a, a type A personality. I know there's some people who they need their back against the wall to make things happen. That is a recipe for disaster for me, <laughs> right? So what I did was I actually slowly transitioned out of teaching. You know, so I went from teaching six classes to teaching four and I took on more clients. Then I went from four to three and I took on more clients, right? And then I went from three to two and I took on more clients. And then at the point where I was basically making right about the same income teaching as I was full-time with my company, that's when I made the switch. That's when I decided to quit teaching full-time. So and how long did that take? It was about a year. Okay. Yeah, it was Great. about a year. So I went basically between year two and year three, we went full-time and basically quit teaching altogether, no more classes. And what do you say to the person that's listening right now that says, I have in my gut this idea, I want to follow it, and I just don't know that I can sit and stay here for another year in this miserable job or in the one that I know I don't want to mm. do anymore. I'm ready to move forward with my future. You yeah. know, what kind of advice can you give them or how can you help them kind of pump the brakes a bit so that they can make this transition a little bit easier on themselves? Yeah. Well, okay. So to be perfectly honest, I don't think I have the greatest answer. So I'm going to give you two good answers, right? <laughs> um, one is it really, I really do believe it depends on the person. And so let's say they hate their job. I would say, well, there's two ways you can look at it. One is you can use that hate to motivate you to get your butt in gear and get it going. Very true. Option one. Option two is you can be thankful and grateful that you even have a job because there's a lot of people who'd be in your position who would kill for what you have. So maybe we should just be thankful and grateful and use that to pay our bills and take that energy of gratefulness and thankfulness and abundance to actually go make a bunch of money on the side so one day we can actually quit that job. And I would say, which one sounds like a better idea to you? I right? love that. And let them choose because it really is it's it's you know I'm I this is something I still need to work on um generally speaking I think people who are ambitious entrepreneurial they want to have a big impact on the world they're constantly thinking what's next what's next what's more what's more what's more that's not a bad thing I'm not saying they should change that but I learned this from a guy by the name of Kyle Maynard who um you can just google him Kyle Maynard he was a um he was a, I want to say he was a, a Navy SEAL, I believe, um, was, no, I'm sorry, he wasn't a Navy SEAL. He actually grew up with no arms and legs. This is what it was. No arms and legs. I have um, heard his story. Okay. Yes. Became, became a collegiate wrestling champion. Yes. Okay. Then he went through a really dark period in his life. He was super depressed because he felt like he wasn't living out his best life. Um, but there were two Navy SEALs, I think, that um, met him in the airport once and said, hey, listen, we were going to kill ourselves until we saw your story because they were, they had they were injured in, in war. And so they were literally, they made a, a, like a suicide pact that both those guys would die. And at that moment, they saw Kyle's story, right? So because of that, Kyle Maynard like basically broke down and started crying. And so he really wanted to give back to the veteran community. So what he did was he actually climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with, um, on his, basically on, for lack of a better term, I hope this isn't offensive, on his stubs of wow. what would be his legs and arms on his stubs, he climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro carrying the ashes of a fallen soldier. No. So halfway through the journey, though, they said, hey, here's the thing. Um, the path that we wanted to take is, is not, not usable. So one option is we can go straight up the mountain and it'll be quicker, but it's going to be a heck of a lot harder on you. Or we can actually take the longer way and it's going to be harder because you got to go downhill and then back uphill. And so he made the decision that he was going to go straight up the hill and they just like powered through. But he got halfway through and they have this on video. Like again, if you just YouTube Kyle Maynard, um, Mount Kilimanjaro, he had this phrase that always stuck with me. He said, um, there's so many times on this journey that I keep looking at the summit, looking at the summit, looking at the summit and how far I have to go. And I'm like tearing up talking about this. He says, I forget to turn around and look at how far I've come. Oh my gosh. And he's like, I needed to, I, I, I realized that on this journey, I just had this moment that I, you have to look at how far you've come. Right. Oh. So again, it's like, you don't want to be stuck in the past necessarily, but you know, if you're at a job that you hate and you can't stand your boss, you got it. Yeah. You either use it as the motivation to get out of there or just be thankful and grateful for how far you've come and the fact that you want to get out and you want to do good things. And I swear, if you change your, if you change your perspective, like Kyle Maynard did, you change your perspective, it changes your life. 
I know that sounds trite. That's like a little like phrase or whatever, but it's a hundred percent true or else we wouldn't say it. It's so funny that you actually just said that because that was the very topic of my newsletter yesterday that I just sent out. So I kind of have chills right now and I called it the muscle of optimism and perspective. And I talk about, I was talking about how those have been two of the biggest skill sets that I've developed over the course of the last probably five years that have have totally changed my life. And it is that, I mean, yesterday having a terrible day, the car breaking down, all sorts of things that would typically have left me in, yes, high class problems of just, but still, you know, just feeling a little defeated after that type of day. And um, instead you know, my perspective now is that those are always gifts and that that interruption is an opportunity to me to be able to look back or look around or take a pause or realize the gift of whatever I've been given. And last night it was the gift of staying in town and being with my kids and enjoying dinner. And so there are always gifts to be seen, but we tend to ignore them when we look at the negative perspective. Yeah. Well, I think too, the way I like to think of it, and again, by no means have I perfected this either, is that like the way the universe works, the way it was designed, is that um, the only way to grow is through pain. Like if you think of fitness, if you go and you've never worked out before, you're going to have to start with like two pounds weight, right? And it's going to hurt and it's going to break down your body and your body's then going to strengthen itself. But if you keep with the two pound weight, you're never, ever really going to grow. It's once you get used to the two pounds and you got to go to three, then you got to go to the five, then you got to go to the 10. And so the more you grow, the more pain you're going to go through. Absolutely. Right? And if you look at, but if you also look at like the way that our body works, we have pain receptors to basically have us kind of stop and, and, and reflect on something's wrong. I need to fix it. So if you're at that job and you hate it and you feel that pain, one thing is be like, okay, well, let's reflect obviously something is wrong, right? We need to heal it. What are we going to do to heal it? Right. And so when you have those moments of pain, when you have those moments of frustration, instead of just sitting in that moment and feeling the pain, right? Complaining about it. Yeah. It's, you might as well use it to learn, right? Like don't, don't go through the negative situation and waste it. Use it to actually get to the next level sort of thing, you know? And Mm -hmm. I mean, there's still days where, like, I don't know any entrepreneurs, I don't know anyone who's trying to do something big in life that doesn't have self-doubt or doesn't have pain days or something like that. But I think it's, you know, the ones who are a little bit maybe more, again, to use the word successful, are the ones who, um, I, I explain it like, so it's like the ninja level, high level attitude where when you see the pain coming, you just smile and say, oh my God, this is going to be really painful, but I'm so excited for what's going to happen and grow through it getting to that though you got to go through a bunch of crap the only way to get mentally tough and get to the level is you have to go through a bunch of crap that's just the reality of it absolutely yeah Yeah, i I I mean i I totally do (laughs) yeah i mean i i'm constantly telling clients that that is is like my daughter you know she's trying five years old, you know, she's trying to go back with nostalgia and put on her two T pajamas. And so with any mom, I attempt to equate it to something like that. And I'm like, have you ever seen somebody go back and try to put on, you know, a child put on those pajamas? They've outgrown them. They're bigger, you know, and that's essentially what we're doing throughout this growth process and learning. And oftentimes people try to go back and, you know, do actions or things you know, that are too small for them now, right? So they'll attempt to uh, get into a container or say, well, I used to do that, or that used to be part of my routine. And then they come to me and say, oh, well, now I don't enjoy it anymore. Or now it's causing me pain. Or I loved this job forever. And now Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Why? And I'm like, you're the 5T girl trying to go back and put on the 2T pajamas. You've outgrown it. And that's okay. That means something great is on the other side of it. And yeah. So something good is coming. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you just reminded me of something. So um, basically the agency chairman of my company, um, his name's Ed Milet, and uh, he talks about this all the time. 
he says uh, there was this one experience he had when he was like coming up in our business and he um he was at the car wash with his son and there was an older gentleman probably in his like 50s at the time he was reading the newspaper and saw his son and said oh you know enjoy that seven-year-old now because you know in a year they'll be eight and they'll be gone and he said this back to the guy he's like i shouldn't have said it as harshly as i did but he's like sir when did that end for you in other words, like we usually get to a point where like we, we would expect our seven-year-old and our eight-year-old, they, they're kind of different, I imagine, right? Like Amy and I, we don't have kids yet, but you as, as a mom, you kind of understand that. Like you hope that your kids will grow over time. Absolutely. That your two-year-old yes, yes. and your, when the, your two-year-old becomes a 10-year-old, they still won't act like a two-year-old. Correct. Why does that stop when we're adults? Right. Why do we get to a point where like, well, I don't need to, like, oh, you've changed. Yeah, I would hope I would change. I hope I wouldn't be the same at 35 as I am at 30 and 40 as I'm at 35. I hope that I would learn and grow and go through experiences that help me become a more, for lack of a better term, like a more complete version of myself, the, 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 the version of myself that I love and I appreciate and I'm proud of sort of thing. You know? Completely. You know, yeah. I say to people all the time who come up to me now and say, don't you miss your law practice? Isn't it such a shame that that all went to waste? And I, I, I know that they are alarmed when I begin to laugh yeah. and say, I, first of all, I absolutely do not miss it simply because it wasn't the right fit for me. Um, but no, I have gone through such incredible change throughout yeah. this you know, the last 15 years, I loved the time that I was there. I love yeah. the growth that it gave me. I'm standing on the shoulders of that success. And yeah. I wouldn't be the person that I am today had I not gone through what I did then. Um, yeah, there was something else that I was thinking of and I've just That's completely okay. lost it. But can I actually ask you a question? Absolutely. So I, I still don't have an answer to this either. But one of my questions is always this, why are so many people obsessed with other people's lives? Like, why, why is it that we're not focused on our own lives? Like, I, I was talking to Amy about this last night. I was like, I never want to be a person who, when someone tells me their dream, number one, to share your dream with someone is a very vulnerable thing. Very true. I never want to be the person who says, oh, that's a stupid idea. Oh, why would you do that? Oh, why, 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 why? Because it's not my freaking life. Right. Like, why are people so obsessed with telling other people how to live their life when they themselves aren't really living their life? Like, it, it's kind of like, do as I say, not as I do. So I'm getting like super fired up about this. But I just, I don't know why we do that. So what do you think? I like it. Um, <laughs> I've got to go back to the point because I just realized what I was going to okay, say. Yeah. We yeah. make the decision at 24, right? Which is when I graduated law school. Uh -huh. And and suddenly people want us to stay with that forever. So it does actually go into my answer on, on your question, which is that um, we've come up with a society of sameness, right? We want yeah. everyone to be the same and act the same and look the same. And because we now can see into the insides of so many people's lives and careers, you know, we all want to believe that we all have you know, some level of equality and, and that they're all the same. Um, and so the idea that someone would break out of that challenges you as an individual to think that you might need to break out of that then, right? Yeah. In order to be now same as everyone else, oh gosh, I might now have to change. And that's not something that they are looking to do, right? 80% of what comes out of anybody's mouth all has to do with themselves. So there you have no <laughs> reflection on whether or not you should pour into your career. That's why I tell people never ask your friends and family. They're always yeah. going to tell you to stay where you are and stay small, not because they don't want you to grow, but because they merely yeah. want to protect you. And the yeah. best way that they can do that is to keep you in a smaller container. And that helps them know that you're safe and you're in a place you know, that has a secure salary and that has benefits and that has a career that produces a result they're familiar with. When you break yeah. out of that and you have a result that is unpredictable, that is very confusing for everyone else. And so yeah. they therefore are going to discourage it nearly out of habit and sameness. So yeah. I too could get on a soapbox about this forever <laughs> because yeah. I want to see us being 
you know, bakers slash astronauts slash, you know, bike riders professionally, yeah. right? I want us not to pursue something at 24 and believe we have to stay in it at 44 simply because that was who we were then. It may not be who we are now. And so we should be given the freedom to evolve and change. And so that's why I think the question to me of, you've thrown away your career because you're no longer practicing law is hysterical because right. I, I have actually grown more than in these last 15 years than ever before that I ever would have had. I stayed in that small container. So, yeah, I think that the way that I kind of explained too, is that, you know, being a college professor, that was a stage in my life that was supposed to prepare me for the next stage. Right. Right. And being a baseball player was supposed to prepare me for something else, like the, the discipline and the hard work and all of that. So that's the way I see it. I almost see it as like stages, you know? Completely. So, yeah. So tell us what you, in fact, are doing now. Sure. Yeah. So basically, um, now full time with our company, uh, I work with a company, we're a financial education company. And it's very different than the traditional financial industry. What a lot of people don't understand about the traditional financial industry, it's not that the people are bad. There's a lot of good people out there who are financial advisors and insurance people and all money managers and all that. But the way that the system is designed is really sales and quota driven, right? And so if you actually have a quota, your job isn't to put your client's best interest first, it's put the company's best interest first and hopefully they align, right? Right. But if I'm sitting with you, Sally, and I'm sitting with you and your husband and there's a product that I have to sell and it's not in your best interest, right? Right. I kind of have to not sell you the thing that's best for you. You know, right. So what happens is the way that our company does it is we're not an investment company. We're not an insurance company. We're not a money management company. Okay. But we're basically contracted with over 200 different investment firms and insurance firms and money management firms. So it's all the big ones. It's Vanguard, Fidelity, Nationwide, all that stuff. Right. So what we do is we sit with our clients and we actually will teach them and educate them about like how money works and all of the concepts they need to know about saving money and, and building wealth and stuff like that. You know, like one of the examples I use is we talk about just, um, we talk about, you know, uh, the rule of 72, you know, and, and have you heard of the rule of 72? I have not heard of the rule okay. of 72. Give it to us. Okay. So Albert Einstein is credited with finding this, right? He was trying to figure out population growth, but he realized it applied to compound interest and how money grows. So that's why he actually called it the eighth wonder of the world. He's like, you either pay compound interest or you get it. So the idea is this, is if you take the number 72, it's basic third grade long division. This is what blows my mind too, is like, we have things memorized like the quadratic formula, right? Do you remember the quadratic formula? <laughs> Not off the top of my head, but I, I, I oh. have heard the term. I do because they made me memorize it. X equals negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus four AC all over two A. Now I have no idea what that actually does for me though, right? <laughs> me either. Rule of 72, though, says this. If you take the number 72 and you divide it by the interest rate money grows by, it's approximately the number of years it takes for the money to double, okay? So if we had someone who had, let's just say, $10,000 and they put it in the bank and the bank gave them 1%, if they just let the money stay there, it will take 72 years for that $10,000 to become $20,000. Okay. Right? Right. And so a lot of people then, they'll save their money in the bank because that's all they know how to do. Right. And I'm like, well, if you're going to the big banks, the Chase, the Wells Fargo, the, the, um, the Bank of America, right, they're going to give you 0.01% on your money. Right. So it <laughs> takes 7,200 years for the money to double. So one thing I talk about is this, is I say, well, why, why do people save money in the bank then? Right. If they want to keep it liquid. So we're not talking about retirement accounts. We're not talking about any of that. But why do we save money in the bank? What do you think? What are the common answers? Safety, accessibility. Good. Those are the top two. Accessibility, absolutely, you can get it within like 72 hours. But let's talk about safety, okay? There's something called inflation. The cost of goods and services go up over time, right? right. And it averages about 2 to 3%. So let's say I put my money in the bank and it sits there at 1%. So I'm growing my money at 1%, but I'm losing 2 to 3% to inflation. What does that actually mean then? Oh, gosh, I'm losing money. The value of my money is going down. No, you're not losing money. You are safely losing money because right. it's <laughs> safe in the bank and you see it on your bank account, right? Because people <laughs> don't know how to save money, right? Like there's actually one, someone in our firm actually did research on this. They found that when, when financial literacy in communities is high, bank profits are low. And when financial literacy is low, bank profits are high. 
So do you think it's in the interest of the financial industry for people to be financially illiterate? Right. No, no they, they do not want you money. to be financially illiterate. No, not at all. So that's why we say we have to go at it from an education standpoint. We have to teach people the basics of how money works and why they need to save money in certain ways. Because personal finance is exactly that. It is personal. It's not one size fits all, right? There's 38,000 different ways, not really, but like there's a bunch of different ways people can save money, right? But it's all supposed to be personalized, right? Right. So what we do then is we sit with clients and we'll educate them. We'll show them about these, the, the ways money works. We'll show them about uh, the rule of 72. We'll talk about how our money gets taxed when we save it, right? Um, you know, a lot of people will go to their jobs. They'll open up a 401k. And I'm like, that's great. You're saving money. Okay. But on a scale of one to 10, one meaning, you know, nothing about your 401k, 10 meaning, you know, everything about it, every single fee, every single investment point, everything. Where's your knowledge base? What do you think most people say, Sally? At a zero. <laughs> yeah. Right. If I get like a five or higher, I ask three, four, five different questions. And they're like, oh, I guess I don't know as much as I thought I did. <laughs> right. So I'll sit with people and I have to ask really difficult questions, right? Probably like you do when you're coaching people, which is, this is the question I always ask them. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, you're putting all of your family's future into an account that you don't even half understand. How does that make you feel? And then they kick me out of their house because it doesn't feel good. Not right. really, they don't kick me out, but they, that they're, they have this realization of like, oh my God, yeah, we're just putting money in this account. We don't even know really what it is. So you have to start with education. So we literally do classes on like Saturday mornings that, you know, I'm in Southern California. So we have offices all over the country, but in my office on Saturday mornings, we do education classes. We sit with our clients one-on-one, -on -one, we teach them all this stuff. And then if they want us to, we'll actually go over their finances with them. We'll put together a budget with them. We'll figure out what they care about when it comes to saving money. We'll look at their different insurance policies. We'll look at their uh, retirement accounts, their 401ks, their Roth. We'll look at everything. We'll figure out their goals and dreams and say, okay, well, based on your situation, if this is where you want to be, right, in 10 years, and this is where you are now, you've got a few different options. You've got option A, option B. They're both good. They're just different. So there's the pros and cons of each approach. Which one do you actually like more? And they say, oh, well, we like option A. We like option B, whatever account it is. We say, great. So what we do then is we actually will open the accounts for our clients with the financial companies, okay? So they're saving money with the, the Fidelities, the Franklin Templeton's, the Nationwide. But instead of charging the client for all of that education and all of that service, we charge the companies, they pay us out of their advertising and their marketing budgets. Aha. Uh -huh. Because they spend a lot of money into brainwash us into thinking that Nationwide is on their side. Right. Right. So... <laughs> Our clients are happy then because they're getting essentially an unbiased service. My bias is not towards the companies because they all pay us basically the same. My bias is towards the client and doing what's in their best interest. I they don't it. have to pay us for the service and they're getting connected with strongly rated high, uh, high level like financial companies. The companies are happy though because we just brought them a client that they didn't do any work for. But this is the key, right? Is in, in the financial world, like if I go open up a bank account at Bank of America, I put in a hundred bucks. Do you think Bank of America actually makes money from me the first year? No. Not really, right? It's not usually till honestly year five that they, because they spend a lot of money into advertising to acquire the clients. So they usually don't see a return on all those advertising dollars till like five, year five, six, seven, eight. So because we've done all of the groundwork and found a client who needs exactly what the, that client is, the, or that company is the best at, that client has a higher probability of sticking with that company long-term so they know their advertising dollars actually brought them a client. So the company standpoint, they're excited. They're like, sweet. We literally, we didn't do any work when we're paying out these advertising dollars. We already have a client. Right. Right. And then we're obviously, we're very happy because they do pay us very well, right? The financial industry is the third highest paying industry in the United States behind sports and entertainment. So I always use the stupid joke of, unless I'm going to be LeBron James or Justin Bieber or Beyonce, right? This is the industry where people make money. We just don't make it from our clients' pockets. We make it from the company's much bigger pockets. And like so for it. me, it was more just, it wasn't about the money at first, though, because we do make good money. It was more about just the passion and the crusade of the education. Sure. Right? That was my education background coming in. And that's what really sold me the dream of like, this is going to be, we're going to change the world this way. So give me, just before we go, your top yeah. financial tip for yeah. our listeners. Oh, it's really boring. Okay. It's really boring. It's not Bitcoin. It's not gold. <laughs> it's not any of that stuff. No offense if you guys do that. It's this. It's 
Well, I'll say two things then. Number one, give money away. Um, it's really hard for people. Um, but I totally believe that, again, it's that idea of abundance and, and gratitude and gratefulness. It's that I might be struggling financially, but I got a roof over my head and some people don't. And I got a cell phone and some people don't. And I have a car that works and some people don't. So when you give just to give from a place of gratitude, and it doesn't even have to be a God thing. It doesn't have to be a church. It's not, it just gives money to people that need it more than you do. It does come back to you. The quantum physics works that way. So no, I would actually say before anything else is just give money away. I don't care about the dollar amount. I don't care about the percentage, but get in the habit of, of giving money to people who need it. Number one. Love that. Number two, though, is saving money is more important than spending it. Um, most people, it's, it's just the concept of paying themselves first, right? Is that something that you're familiar? Have you heard that concept before? Oh, absolutely. There's not a woman okay. in the world that hasn't watched some Oprah episode okay. or listened to her yeah. on, you know, Super Soul yeah. Sunday talk about the idea of always pay yourself first. Yeah. So I'm very visual. So I have to explain it this way. Hopefully people are listening and hear this is imagine every single person you have to pay a bill to is lined up outside your front door. Right. So it's your mortgage or rent payment. If you have a car payment, it's your grocery bill. It's electric bill, cell phone, everything. Okay. And we go to work, whether it's at our business or at our job, and we spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week, sometimes 80 hours a week, making all of this money. The question is, who do we give it to first? Do we put ourselves at the front of the line? Or do we put ourselves in the back of the line? And what do most Americans do? Put our, we absolutely put ourselves at the back of the line. Yeah. So I ask people this question. I say, and, and I'm directly talking to your listeners now. How does it make you feel that you work your tail off for 40, 50, 60 hours a week and give this money to all these people who don't give a you know what about you before you give it to your family? How does that make you feel? And they say, yeah, I never thought of it that way. It doesn't feel good. Because guess what? Your mortgage company doesn't care about you. Your car company doesn't care about you. Coca-Cola doesn't care about you. Tesla doesn't care about you. Facebook doesn't care about you. They care about their bottom line. Nobody's going to care about your bottom line more than you do, right? And so, yeah, there's different ways, different accounts. There's different strategies to consider. But we've sat with clients who literally the only reason they became financially independent isn't because they had a really good investment. It was because they always paid themselves first. I love that. What a fantastic way for us to wrap up. I swear, Chris, I could go on talking, debating all of this with you for hours upon hours. I hate to even end, but I know, I know we've got to respect the time of our listeners. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. So um, one way I think is um, I'm not on Instagram as much as I would like to be because I like, you know, sharing stuff with people, but they can find me on there. Um, it's at the Kennison factor. Um, also maybe I'll, uh, uh, I can send you my website cause I do have a website with my company, but I honestly don't know the website off the top of my head, which is really bad marketing. Right. But I'll at least get that to you. Um, those are probably the two ways. Uh, the best ways to get in touch with me then is just, through Instagram or, or through my website then. Great. We will definitely put your contact information in the show notes yeah. so that anyone can get in touch with you because one statistic that I find very alarming is that more than 68% of women, which is a lot of the people listening to this podcast, uh, find themselves in a position where they feel financially insecure and uh, fearful And I do think that a large part of that has to do with a lack of education and a lack of knowledge about our finances and the resources available to us. So I love being able to talk to you, somebody that has made this change and really invested in this knowledge of finance, finance, however you say it, and is willing to give that education back to others. One One more thing too, if you have any of your listeners who reach out to you, we could always do a Zoom call and I can go over some of the education stuff with them. We could set that up somehow. We can go over rule of 72 and all of that stuff. If they just want to get the basics down, we could always take half an hour. I can set it up or whatever. I don't know how we do it, but uh, Ooh, maybe I like it. we're like, that's really cool. Can, can we do that? Because obviously I'm in California, but with the internet and Zoom, everything's awesome. And so we could do something like that. Perfect. What a great offering. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, you're it. You're very welcome. Yeah. All right, Chris, thank you so much. 
And thank yeah. you all. I really appreciate you listening to this episode of Hitting Rock Middle. I'm your host, Sally Holder. Remember that you can always find out more about myself at sallyholder.com and by clicking on our podcast section. Make sure before you leave today to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you are listening, and even leave us a review if you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with another empowering story of dreaming beyond the American dream. We'll talk to you then. Thanks. Bye.